Kovalchuk, rink wide to Brown. He enters with speed. Brown to Kopitar. He scores! Goal number 300 for Andrzej Kopitar. This is an All the Kingsmen post-game podcast. Carter on a two-on-one here with Iafalo joining. Jeff Carter walks it in and scores! Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. I am Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. Never miss an episode by subscribing today. Subscription links and recent episodes can be found at lakings.com slash podcast. It was 90s night at Staples Center, and the Kings made sure it was a good one, scoring four goals against the Edmonton Oilers. Dave Joseph and Carlin Bathe joined me for the postgame, but before we get to that, we've got one last piece of 90s nostalgia to get to. It's time for This Week in Kings History with Mike Camito. How you doing there, Mike? Well, Jesse, it's great to be back. It's the first uh, This Week in Kings History in 2019. That's right. Happy New Year. You too. Thanks. So uh, what do we got this week? So this week, we're, we're going to go back a little bit. Uh, we're going to go back to December 30th, 1999. And uh, that would have been the last Kings game of uh, the previous millennium. So the last game of, uh, of, of the 20th century. Um, and, and this is an interesting one because actually, but I, I should say this at first, that at first I thought we were going to talk about a New Year's Eve game, which got <laughs> me all excited because I had a good New Year's Eve story from 1999. But we'll get to that maybe a little bit later, or maybe not at all. Uh, but anyway, we're talking about uh, the last game of the millennium. Uh, and it was a pretty good game. Um, uh, the Kings uh, drubbed the Oilers 8-2 uh, to the delight of the 18,000 fans at Staples Center. So uh, it was a pretty uh, pretty good game for the Kings to close out uh, you know, that part of the year. Uh, basically, they took out three weeks of frustrations on the Oilers. Uh, you know, pre- prior to that game on December 30th, the Kings had, you know, gone on a six-game losing streak. Uh, they previously, before that slide, had, you know, one of the best power plays in the league. And over the course of that slump, you know, went one for 17, went one for 17 on the power play. But when they brought the Oilers in that night, uh, they did some damage on them. They went four for 10 on the power play. Uh, and obviously, uh, Handley won that game. Yeah, and this was, I mean, the Kings had had, had one good season uh, from the 93 cup run up until this point. And that was 98 when um, when Rob Blake won the Norris and they made the playoffs. They got swept by St. Louis. But then they missed the playoffs again the following season. So this was part of the 99-2000 season. They made the playoffs that year. They'd ultimately get swept by Detroit in the playoffs. But, I mean, this was the first year. I mean, 98 was a weird aberration. This was the first year since 93. I think that Kings fans really had sort of reason to be optimistic. I think Palfi was on the team by this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it was it was great. And, yeah, it was the last game of the 90s. Um, and we are doing this for 90s night, which is Saturday. Um, it, 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 I mean, it was just a uh, – it was just – you know, it was like the light at the end of the tunnel, finally, <laughs> after whatever – six or seven years of sort of struggling. Um, and, and it was the thousand, the th- thousandth victory in franchise history, which, which I thought was particularly, I don't know, touching. Well, certainly, symbolic, certainly whatever. Moment, yeah. For sure. Mm-hmm. That they were able to kind of title it in there. And one of the actually interesting things was that the Kings had actually earmarked that date uh, in that game to try to retire Wayne Gretzky's number. Uh, the great one had politely declined. Uh, the Kings end up retiring Gretzky's number, as we know, uh, in 2002. 
Uh, and the Oilers had been the first team to retire it uh, just a couple months earlier in October of 1999. The league ends up retiring it a couple months later at the All-Star Game in 2000. Uh, but it would have been an interesting time to retire the number. Uh, it would have been, you know, not too long after he had retired, you know, a couple months after the Oilers had retired his number. And then, of, of course, the Oilers, you know, were being they, they were in town that night as well. So it would have been a nice uh, fitting moment. But I think the great one realized that, again, it was the last game of, uh, of, of, of the millennium for both those teams. And so maybe out of deference to the Oilers or maybe just kind of, you know, how he had his moment already earlier in the year and maybe kind of wanted to spread it out. But anyway, we didn't get the jersey retirement that night, but we certainly did. Uh, get a great game and as you mentioned kind of uh, you know the this optimistic game as well and also kind of hearkening back to 1993 Robitaille scored five points that night which was his first five point performance since 1993 uh, it also marked his uh, 1100th career point in the NHL so again uh, big night Rob Blake scored two goals back to back two minutes apart so again the, it was a really uh, fun way to think close out uh, uh, 1999 for sure yeah, and I want to talk about that Gretzky issue, um, if I could, because I'm going off of memory here, so apologies if I'm wrong here. But um, he 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 declined, as I recall, because Bruce McNall couldn't be there, former owner of the Kings, and mm-hmm. and um, lots of people have different feelings about that. Um, you know, I, Bruce McNall currently still has a role with the organization, so I don't want to get too too into the weeds on this. But Bruce McNall um, served time for yeah. for financial crimes um, that were not, um, you know, n- not uh, insignificant. Um, I really, I really wish Gretzky had allowed them to do it on this day it would have been the last game of of 1999 which is you know of course Gretzky's number 99 um and it set up an interesting I always say I don't believe in superstition I don't believe in karma or fate or destiny or any of those things but there was a moment I mean he, he does get the statue um and the and the jersey retirement in 2002 at the tail end of this little window of success that I was talking about. They make the playoffs in 99-2000, they make it in 2000-2001, and they make it in 2001-2002. Uh, of mm-hmm. course, 2001 is the big win over Detroit in the first round, the upset, uh, the, the frenzy on Figueroa, the stunner at yeah. Staples, whatever you want to call it. Um, but when the Gretzky statue goes up, <laughs> that ushers in another... I suppose it was coincidence. It didn't usher it in. But it, but it coincided with another sort of eight-year stretch of missing the playoffs. And the team was beset by injuries. 2003, 2004, um, obviously the 2004, 2005 seasons wiped out. But 2005, 2006, the team is just decimated by injuries. They're setting man game records for game, you know, lo- games lost to injury. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of people uh, thought that the statue was cursed. There was a, a very real thing. Um, where the fan base would refer to the curse of the Gretzky statue. Um, and, and you know, some people thought that it was because, you know, he waited. because you know, I mean, there was all sorts of ridiculous explanations. So anyway, I, 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 I thought it was very interesting that this game was originally slated to be the day that, that his jersey would be retired. Um, I think it would have been a better fit for sure. Yeah. I mean, just given, given, you know, all the factors of the last game of, of the nineties, you know, the, the fact that the Oilers were at Staples center as well, again, to kind of, 
you know, pay homage to to his role with that club as well. So I think it could have been a fitting moment. And regardless, for whatever reason why he didn't do it, it certainly would have, I think, had a better uh, ring to it, you know, the last game in 99 versus, you know, in, in 2002, you know, uh, a few years after the Oilers had retired and a couple of years after the league had retired uh, league-wide anyway. Yeah, I mean, and looking through the notes that that you sent me, I mean, it's <laughs> it's it's amazing, right, It that, you know, it's we picked this game for '90s night, or I picked it for '90s night, and now you look at it, and you know, obviously, um, Blake scores, Robitaille scores, um, or Robitaille had, yeah, Robitaille scored. So Robitaille's the president, Blake's the GM. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think Modry uh, had a few points. You know, he scored, and he's on the Kings development team. Um, yeah. We were thinking about doing a game where Craig Johnson would have scored his first overtime goal of his career. He's on the development team. I mean, it's. So many of these players are now um, in the front office. It's just sort of an interesting, uh, an interesting moment. And then there's some names that King fans, you know, who've been around for a long time, will remember. Defenseman Yeri Carolotti, for example, scored two goals. Um, he's a guy who no longer in the league, but at the time, a ton of potential. Everybody, you know, thought he had, uh, you know, ha- had a, a long career in front of him. Unfortunately, he had. Um, issues with with uh narcotics addiction um tons of fights i mean yeah it's just <laughs> it's just a great game I, yeah I, no you really kind of had everything kind of all in that game again poffy scored as well and i think the cool thing about uh moji scoring was that it was his first goal uh in three years the last goal he scored was october 15th 1996 so after you know kind of being out of the lineup uh he was down in the ihl for a couple of seasons and you know he kind of that was his year where it kind of became a an NHL regular again. So he, you know, he picks up, uh, uh, some goals as or a goal as well. Uh, and then again, as you'd mentioned the fights, the Kings picked up 69 penalty minutes, uh, which is a pretty nice number. And so you had, you had a couple decent tilts there with Steve McKenna taking out George LaRocco. It was kind of more of a wrestling match than, than anything else. And in, in uh, LaPerriere fighting Ethan Morrow and, and Dale, Dan Bilesma, who I forgot was a King. Until, oh, uh, you can't forget that. Into this. No, I know. I, I feel, I feel bad for that, but I, you know, it's, it's, it was funny to go back and see some of those pictures and yeah. So him and Mike Greer went at it and, uh, and Biles ended up picking up 21 uh, penalty minutes that game uh, to go along with McKenna who had 25. So the two of them had the lion's share uh, of of the penalty minutes the Kings picked up that night. Yeah, but, I mean, <laughs> Dan Pilesma is one of my favorite Kings of all time, which is absurd because he, I mean, look, he's a great coach, but he did not have um, a particularly stellar playing career, although in his defense he played 429 games, 60, mm-hmm. 62 points, but, I mean, a fourth liner, a career fourth liner, I think would be a fair um, assessment. Um I don't go in for autographs um, anymore, although when I was a kid, I suppose I thought they were cool. But one of my more prized possessions is a game-used Stanley Cup final stick from Dan Bilesma, signed <laughs> to me from, <laughs> from Dan Bilesma, from the 2003 Stanley Cup final. And, I, you know, he wrote a book with his dad. He was a, you know, he's a, an incredibly thoughtful guy. Um, I, I love Dan Bilesma, so I was thrilled to see that he had an impact on this game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, you mentioned New Year's Eve. Um, it wasn't New Year's Eve. It was December 30th, but it's close yeah. enough. Um, do you remember, because, we're you know, 90s night is Saturday night, the 5th. Um, do you remember, I mean, gosh, I don't even know how old you are, but, but how old were you when when we switched over from 1999 to 2000? I was 14. 
Okay. And I, uh, and I, and I vividly remember my new year's Eve in 1999. So, um, while, while maybe some of my friends, uh, so I would have been in grade nine at the time while they might've been partying, uh, and doing those sorts of things on new year's Eve, I spent my new year's Eve, uh, in a Sears store in <laughs> Timmins, Ontario, which for the listeners, if they don't know where Timmins is in, in Northern Ontario, it's about eight hours North of Toronto. And so, my dad was the manager of the store at the time in Timmins, and he was asked to stay in the store past midnight because everyone was still freaking out about Y2K, uh. and they weren't they weren't sure what was going to happen to the system uh, after the clock switched over from midnight. And so I guess my dad and probably a lot of other uh, general managers across uh, the country and beyond were kind of uh, spending the night inside these Sears stores to see what happened after uh, the clock struck midnight. And so anyway, I was in Sears with my dad, my sister, my mom, watching movies in the electronics area on the, on the lazy boy couches. So at the time, you know, certainly, you know, as you get older, you kind of, I think, look back and kind of have a different fondness for that because obviously it's a pretty cool moment. But as a, as a kid, as a 14 year old, you probably thought you had better things to do, but, but I don't remember getting any invitations to parties anyway. So it's not like I was missing out <laughs> on a party. Uh, but, uh, but at the time when you go back to school after the break and your friends talk about what they did on New Year's Eve and you say, well, I was in the Sears store, you know, it's, it's, it's not as cool then, but it's certainly a cool uh, memory to have now. Where uh, where were you for uh, for Y two K New Year's Eve? Well, so I graduated high school in ninety six, so it would have been what I guess almost almost four years later, three or four years later. So a bunch of my friends, you know that I had, that I had been to high school with, were still right. Everybody comes home for the holidays. Not everybody had sort of spread to the winds just yet. So I I grew up in Long Beach, but I had moved to L.A. at that point. Um, I was living in the San Fernando Valley, and I remember I had to work that night. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I I finagled it so that I could get off work just in time to hop in my car and fly down the 405 um, <laughs> to make it to a party that uh, one of the kids, like I said, one of the kids that I'd been to high school with, um, her family had, you know, this wonderful huge house with a guest house in the backyard and a pool and you know her older brother sort nice. of sort of lived in the guest house and you know he was the guy you know I was two or three years older than all of us and he was like the you know the cool older brother that everybody knew so it was just this massive I don't know how many people were there but it it had to have been I don't know a, a bunch of people <laughs> a very large crowd <laughs> And, uh, you know, people that I had known for years and, uh, you know, people, you know, it's that weird age where you've got new friends in your new life, but you still have all these people that you knew, you know, it was like this, it was like sort of the very last high school party, yeah. <laughs> I guess, <laughs> before we all, uh, but it was perfect, you know, it was, and it's a nice, um, if I ever get lost and people who are getting older will relate to this you start to sort of lose track of what year you did what in your life <laughs> but this this is a really perfect thing where i can go like oh yeah i know i was doing this job and i was living here because i distinctly remember leaving work and and leaving work early <laughs> and driving to this party and then obviously i remember exactly what happened at the party i won't go into the details there, but it was great. <clears throat> it was memorable and perfect, and I wouldn't have had it any other way. Well, it's, it sounds like you had a more exciting New Year's Eve than I did that that year for sure. Yeah, I mean, it still gets referenced from time to time. <laughs> so, so <laughs> it good must to, have been a good party then. It was. It was a great party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not as good as uh, as the party that they would have had if they had retired uh, Gretzky's number yes. and put up the statue, <laughs> but but that's that. Anyway, Mike, I want to thank you as always for joining me. 
My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And uh, next week is Star Wars night on Saturday night, so we'll try and come up with a Star Wars theme for next okay, week. Okay, I'll, I'll get right on that. <laughs> this week in King's history. <laughs> We are here high above the ice in the Bob Miller Press Box at Staples Center. Joining me tonight, Dave Joseph. How are you doing tonight, Dave? Well, I'm doing great, Jesse. It was a successful 90s night at Staples Center tonight. Doing a little retro throwback feel. Uh, the scoreboard adorned with 90s-like uh, forum mm-hmm. graphics, songs from the 90s, throwback photos from the 90s, uh, a 4-0 Kings win over the Edmonton Oilers. All around, I thought it was a great night, successful night uh, all across the board. The way this season is going, it feels like the Kings haven't won a game since the 90s. But, uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but sorry, I only won Mike tonight, so apologies if uh, the sound cuts in and out. But, I mean, I thought, you know, you want to talk about complete games, rolling four lines, 60-minute effort, 200 feet. This was a night where all four lines score. We were looking at it. Every guy on the team was on the ice for a goal with the exception of Derek Forbert. But, you know, he didn't let any in. Um, four to nothing. Kopitar scores his 300th. Brown, you know, moves into second on the most games played. Quick wins his 300th. Dowdy has a strong game. Two points, I thought. Was it two points? Yeah. Two yeah. assists. Two assists. Um, I mean, it was just a night where everything went right. And I, I just want to personally thank the Oilers for not showing up. Yeah, thank you, Edmonton. And uh, and from what I've heard from Ken Hitchcock's post-game press conference, it was uh, rather scathing about his team. He kind of ripped into his team afterward about the lack of effort. Or I think he said only one guy showed up, and that was Darnell Nurse, who played you know a, a physical style like he normally does. But yeah, it was nice to see the Kings put in. This was this was I don't want to call it the best game of the year. Um, there were a couple of games earlier in the season I thought that might have been better all-around games. But in terms of, like you said, rolling four lines to get everybody involved in the game, four lines scored, like you mentioned, uh, the big milestone games from Brown and Kopitar and, and Quickie. Uh, what more could you ask for, really? I mean, this, is, this was a total team effort tonight. There was no doubt in the game from the first period, from the very first goal until the end, that the yeah. Kings were going to win this game. I had no sense, at least from where I was sitting, that there was ever going to be any kind of a turnaround in this game. I thought the one thing that stood out for me was the lack of production, number one, uh, from guys like Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, guys like that, who normally have big games against the Kings and normally stand out in some way, whether or not they score, you usually notice a Connor McDavid flying up the wing, usually notice he and Dreisaitl going back and forth with, with some great you know tic-tac-toe passes. We didn't see any of that tonight. And, and I don't think Connor McDavid had one scoring chance. I might be wrong, but I, I don't remember one. So I think the fact that the Kings were able to shut him down and Dreisaitl down, I think that was a big factor in the win tonight. I've been nodding emphatically this whole time. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, this is, I think, the first time I've seen Connor McDavid play where I truly didn't notice him. You know, at one point, I actually checked myself in the second period. Um, I was going down to do my intermission segment, and, and you know, usually they throw it to me for like 15 seconds. What do you think of the game so far? And I was going to say, well, anytime you can keep Connor McDavid off the score sheet through two periods, you're doing a good job. And I thought to myself, well, before I say that, I better make sure that Connor McDavid's in the lineup because I don't want to look like an idiot. And I hadn't, I literally hadn't even thought about him the entire game. So I had to like, Go and ch- I mean, I 
made sure he was playing. I mean, that's how absurd it was. This is one of the few games that I can recall watching the Edmonton Oilers, whether it's here or watching them on TV, where Connor McDavid was a non-factor. Yeah. And you don't see that very often because he is, if not the best player in the game, one of the best players in the game, certainly top three, uh, depending on who you talk to at any given time. Um, the only time I really noticed him was, was when he got into a little bit of a pushing, shoving match, and I forget who it was. Dowdy. Was it Dowdy? Threw him an elbow, yeah. Yeah, and, and then there was some give and take. That I, Carter was involved with somebody, and there was some pushing and shoving there. That was the only time I noticed Connor McDavid the whole night, which says a lot, because normally he's on the score sheet right away, and you notice him just flying up and down the ice. I didn't notice him at all tonight. Kudos to the Kings for keeping him shut down. There were three former Kings in the lineup, too. So, I mean, I had an eye on the on that for the Pearson Index. Lucic was there, Gravel was there, Reeder was there. Obviously, all three of those guys not really pouring in the numbers this year, but this was one of those games, given how the you know Kings season has gone, given recent you know efforts. Obviously, the Tampa game was a blowout and you know some some weaker games in the, in in recent history. So I thought, oh, maybe this is one of those things where Lucic, maybe Lucic has like that one statement game that buys him another month of <laughs> you know of, of of people still trying to justify his contract. Um, but no, nothing, right? No goals. They hand Jonathan Quick his his fifty first shutout. Was it fifty first, fifty second, fifty first shutout, three yep. hundredth win. Yep. Um, you know, I was doing uh, research for my intermission segment leading into this week, and I looked up all the top players of the 90s, and I found myself really thinking about this team because the top five guys I came up with were Robitaille, Gretzky, Blake, uh, Rudy, and McSorley. And here you've got Kopitar, Brown, Quick, Dowdy, and obviously we don't have, like, a McSorley analog, but <laughs> but it's a different game. But I just thought, like, tonight was a perfect example of, you know, maybe 15, 20 years from now, we're going to be doing a, a 2018's night, and and those guys will be, you know, the four names popping up. Joining us now, Carlin Bath. How are you doing, Carlin? Hello, everyone. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Where are we at in the podcast? Uh, we're talking about... We just started. Yeah, we Did basically... Really just start? Pretty much. I mean, we talked about how McDavid's essentially invisible tonight. Yeah. Uh, the big names on the Kings get big milestone games out of the way. Uh-huh. And uh, complete 60-minute, 200-foot effort rolling four lines everybody in the ice for at least one goal did you listen to my interviews because i use those exact words <laughs> i did <laughs> i did i did and i want to talk to you about your interview with quick okay after the game because i thought it was quintessential jonathan quick and everything i love about him oh okay well he's like first of all he can be not difficult to interview but he's just one of those guys that you have to ask the right questions to and i talked about this a little bit with john rosen he loves to talk about the team never himself so i try to always frame something of like what'd you like in front of you tonight or tell us about this team what's been a memorable moment over this career and leading up to this milestone stuff like that so he just give him something else to talk about and he'll give you a good answer that still pertains to what happened but just not about himself but you asked him about the 300th win and he said, oh, it's just the guys I've been playing with for 12 years. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, okay, super nonchalant about that. Like, And he always starts, you know, he started to, like, first of all, we got a two big points against, you know, a team we needed to win against, blah, blah, blah. So it was just. I, I had to think that was intentionally yeah. funny, right? Yeah, but. it was. He's not even trying to be, but it's right. it's those moments that I'm like, this is why, like, you're one of my favorite people to interview. Because I don't know what I'm going to get, but I know how to try and get there the best I can, so. Dave, how important was it to get those two points against a divisional opponent tonight? 
Oh, Jesse was huge. I mean, you, you want to take two points whenever you can get them, but against a divisional opponent, I mean, this is this speaks volumes for where this team is headed. Four, two points. Four-point swing. Four-point swing, absolutely. You needed these two points tonight, and then you go into San Jose on Monday, and you got two more points up for grabs. That's a four-point swing there as well. So this is huge, Jesse, huge. Oh, uh, so a quick uh, – delve into my, into my own existential crisis with this team, Carl, and I told Dave uh, before we started recording, I've gotten to the point now where I'm watching the game, but for long stretches, I realize I'm not retaining any of it. Yes. I'm just, my eyes are pointed at the ice. If they score, I go, all right, great. And if they stop a scoring chance, sweet. Um, but I couldn't tell you who was on the ice at any given moment. I'm not retaining a long stretches of the game. I feel guilty because obviously, right, it's my job to... <laughs> to watch and talk about it but I've got something to add on this I had a long conversation with my boyfriend either yesterday or the day before where I asked him for tips and this has nothing to do with the guys playing like it's just the fault of my own tips on how to make sure stretches of time don't pass where I haven't been paying attention but I've also been staring at the ice and then four or five shifts go by and I go wait a minute hold on and like I'm a reporter I am adamantly watching the game listening to the broadcast but there there are some moments where like i don't know where my brain goes i don't know where it goes i don't know where yours goes but like we're humans so if you yeah you've read that thing where you're driving on the freeway and all of a sudden you're 20 miles just have disappeared and you haven't been and you realize you weren't clocked in for any of it all the time that's my life and it's terrifying dave uh, you've got a much different relationship to what's happening on the ice you've got to be sort of checked in the whole time right yeah sure jesse no there are there are there are, there have been stretches where where uh, you're not exactly focused i mean focus yeah you're always focused to some extent but there are stretches where you kind of tune out a little bit and there's a lot going on on the headset that i'm wearing with you know what's coming up in the game and what's right. going to next right. and, and you probably have the same thing with the yeah. ifb you're hearing different things and for people who don't know and and who don't know what happens in Carlin's world, you know, you might have, we have 10, 12, 15 people on headset who are talking to you yeah. at the same time. So I could be doing a goal call and there will be a conversation going on in my headset or we could be preparing for the next break and there's, you know, you're saying something and there's a conversation happening in your headset and you're not exactly tuning into what's happening on the ice. So you, you do check out. You're still following the game, but you check out. You don't glaze over like you do up in the press box, Jesse. Yeah, what but, are you doing? But yeah, we're not sure what you do. You yeah, still yeah, have yeah. to stay focused on the game. I'm on Twitter. Yeah, but, <laughs> but you do you do check out a little bit just so you know what's going on, you know, coming up next, or you're preparing for what's coming up next. Yeah, I was just going to say I have play-by-play going on in my ear, and a producer will check in with play-by-play, but I think that's what awards me the ability to, to gloss over for a minute or two because I'm listening to what Alex and Jim are saying, and I can, like, kind of just step back for a second for me it's a combination of not only the score of the last two games but just where we are in the season right yeah. so last game against tampa tampa takes a huge lead early it doesn't matter you know what i mean like let's face it it doesn't matter if the kings win or lose any specific game tampa's up okay i the you know the fog rolls in yeah. and then tonight the kings take a three nothing lead early in the first media. period good night digital and, you know, again, it's like during that second period, I, as I was telling Dave, I just I at one point literally had to double check that Connor McDavid was even in the lineup because I just hadn't I hadn't we, seen him. We do a really good job at keeping him at bay. We, the and team, I, the yeah. Kings, we the Kings. Say we. We, I can't. The Kings do a really good job at, at keeping them at bay. Even the last time they played at home here, it's you. he turns invisible, which is crazy because he's 
everywhere else at all other times, but not when he's at Staples Center, at least this season. Four shots on goal for Connor McDavid. Uh, minus one, he played 23 minutes. Wow. And, and honestly, I didn't notice one of the four shots on goal. So I don't one, think they were. One of them hit quick in the face. Okay, I did see that one. Yeah. I didn't realize I'm McDavid, but yeah. So, so I didn't I'm notice the sure. other. I didn't notice yeah. the other three. So they couldn't have been great scoring chances. Right. Is what I'm saying. So yeah. they did kind of keep him at bay, which yeah. is always good to see. Well, let's talk about that defense because, you know, obviously Dowdy is going to make whoever he's with uh, better. Muzzin and Walker have turned into a really solid combo. Yeah. And even Fox was um, talking about Fantenberg in the pregame, talking about how he's more and more reliable. You know, anytime he needs to make a tough call, generally speaking, he's now making the right decision. Um, you know, tossing out the the hiccups at the beginning of the season, it feels like, and this is where I start talking myself into not making any changes again, mm-hmm. it, it feels like this is a defensive core that I'm actually comfortable with moving yes. forward. Yes. No, you're absolutely correct. This is 100% a decor that should stay together and be together. And it's, it's kind of scary because Martinez is going to be coming back soon. Yeah. So what do you do and who do you move? But Fantenberg and Walker have more than enough proved themselves and Walker especially like his he's such a two-way player you (laughs) you watch him defensively and you're like wow like tonight he blocked four shots and you're just like this guy's got it going on and he's so good with a stick and he's back checking like a pro and then he's so good offensively you see him joining the rush you see him starting the breakout and then joining the breakout (laughs) it's just like you need those guys around because you need to be able to play that 200 foot game and having a guy like him that can do both is amazing and then Fantenberg is just he just gets better with every game. It's incredible. Well, and, and to build off that, here's my question. So what do you do when Martinez comes back? And that brings up the question, like Walker's been playing well, Fantenberg's been playing well, Muzzin's been playing well, Forbert and Doughty are pretty much a pair you're not going to break up. Mm-hmm. Uh, that leaves one guy, and that's Dion Phaneuf, who tonight was a plus three, but was, I believe, a minus 19 coming into the game. Mm-hmm. Is Dion Phaneuf a guy you would scratch to get Martinez back into the lineup? Is Because... I don't see them taking Sean Walker out of the game. Mm-hmm. I don't see them taking any of the other defensemen. I don't out think of the game. you can take Sean and, Walker. It, right, and Paul Ledoux's been a, a healthy scratch. He can't get into the lineup on most nights. So what do you do when Alec Martinez comes back? And who's the odd odd man out at that point? Is it Dion Phaneuf? Uh, it, it, he's a he's a seasoned veteran. Is he a guy that's going to be a healthy scratch? Uh, this is where we all get into. <laughs> dicey territory because we you know nobody wants to be the one to pull the trigger so i guess i'll throw myself under the bus here um conversation is that they're thinking about buying him out at the end of the season the game has changed the game is much faster he has had a wonderful career but he doesn't move as quickly as some of the other players and frankly for me personally i'm not a huge fan of the sort of fake tough guy stuff after the whistles like i understand why it happens and in a different setting in a different season maybe i'd love it but for this year, I'm okay if it doesn't, you know, if it's somebody else being forced to step into that role. If it's Wagner or, you know, Fantenberg or somebody else who has to stick up for the guys on the ice. So, yeah, when Martinez comes back, I would, for now, make Phaneuf the healthy scratch. You saw what happened when all the veterans were out of the lineup and they were playing the young guys more minutes. They went on that win streak. And, and as difficult as it is to say, I don't necessarily think it's a coincidence that the team took a little dip when some of the vets came off the IR and some of the young guys had their minutes taken away. But to counter that, what happened tonight was we took Matt Luff out of the lineup and put Kyle Clifford in, and so that completely contradicts 
everything that we were thinking. You know, yeah, I, I completely yeah. agree with what you just said. So, so what happens to that? Like, what do you do? Because you take out the kid who we thought was such a bright spot, who still is a bright spot, but, you know, he's playing what, under 10 minutes the past couple of games yeah. and hasn't generated anything but an assist in the past however many games. I don't have stats right in front seven of me. Eight. Seven or eight. Yeah. Sure. So it's like you put the vet back in and he gets a goal and – well, I would leave Clifford in the lineup, okay. personally. But I, I just think, you know, you saw – we saw a totally different lineup tonight than we've seen for a while, right? Yeah. With Hagelin back in, we have Kovalchuk back up on the top line. Mm-hmm. We've got Toffoli separated from Carter down on the third line. Mm-hmm. You have uh, – what was the second line? It was uh, – Second line Iofalo, was Carter. Leipzig, Carter, Iavala, yep. Right. So the other part of this mess that, that I was planning on talking about later but we got to address now is – <laughs> when Hagelin came off the IR, that bumped the team back over the salary cap. Yeah. And so they had to put Trevor Lewis on LTIR. And if anybody's tired of acronyms and numbers, like, I'm sorry, but the point is this team has too many guys and they're spending too much money. Mm-hmm. If and when Trevor Lewis comes back, that's, you do. well, that's it for Sherbeck, Leipzig, Luff, Wagner, one of those guys or more than one of those guys. And for my money... Leipzig and Sherback were claimed off of waivers. They can be put right back on waivers. Um, or if you want to keep them and you know let Leipzig play out the season, send Wagner back to Ontario. Send Luff back to Ontario. They did it with Amadio. They've done it with other guys. Let them get their minutes down there. There's no point in having them play eight minutes a night on a team that's just going to finish in last place. Well, the only the flip side of that is it, with this team and, and being – 31st in the league or 30th, whatever it is, uh, on a night-to-night basis, it changes. Uh, do you want to see – do you want to see – right, it could be 30th, maybe 29th, I don't know. It could be 28th, right. We 29th the other day. Uh, so do you want to see uh, a guy like Dean Phaneuf, a seasoned veteran like Dean Phaneuf, stay in the lineup, or would you rather see – Guys, we're 27th! 27th, there you go. So we jumped even more. Sorry. Do you want to see a guy like Dean Phaneuf stay in the lineup, or – would you rather have the younger guys show what they can prove for as long as they can for the rest of the year and see if they're NHL caliber players and where they fit in in the NHL? That's my question. To me, if it were up to me, and it's not, uh, I would say keep playing the younger guys because you've got nothing to lose at this point. You're not, it's not like you're, you're not battling for a playoff spot right, right now. So you don't, need, you don't need the rough and tumble. You don't need the, the, the guys who are going to give you that part of the game. You need to see Sean Walker. You need to see uh, uh, Matt Luff. You need to see Austin Wagner. You need to see these guys every single night to see what they're capable of. I don't know that there's any upside to seeing, you know, guys like Dion Phaneuf in the lineup every night. Not knocking Dion Phaneuf, but I'd rather yeah, see the Carl younger Hagelin, right, Kyle I'd rather Clifford, see the younger guys yeah, and yeah. see what they can do to yeah. see if they can stick at this level. What do you have to lose at this point by going that route? That's that's my question. So a conversation I got in online, and I don't even remember which forum it was in. But um, somebody was criticizing Coach Desjardins and was saying, telling me to quit sugarcoating it, stop protecting him, you know, these decisions are bad, the coach is bad, blah, blah. And I said, listen, part of this is his decision, right? There's some decisions that I just don't understand, that nobody understands. Playing Kovalchuk on the fourth line, right? I didn't get that one. But there's some decisions, right? Guys are out of the lineup. There's only so much you can do about that. And then you have other things like, you know, as we've referenced before, Kovatar and Brown seem to be attached at the hip. 
and it's worked, and it continues to work. That's so, not going to change. Right. So, okay, so Toffoli's not going to play top-line right-wing minutes, and then, you know, so there's only one thing you can do with him, which is second line or third line, because you're not going to play Toffoli fourth line. Then Ayafalo seems to work with Kovacar and Brown. I was shocked to see them move him down with Kovacar. But you know what I mean? Like, there's only tonight. That was interesting. Yeah. It really worked tonight, especially with breaking out and the two, right. Carter and Ayafalo's speed, and then... Leipzig being just dirty. <laughs> but there's only so many, right? If, if you have certain guys that are locked into certain positions, there's only so many tweaks you can try. And from Desjardins' standpoint, if you're the interim and you want to have any shot of being retained as the long term, mm-hmm. why are you going to kick down the door and start making decisions that piss off the vets that you have to have on your side to have yeah. any chance of showing the organization any sort of, you know, because coaching isn't just this guy plays with that guy, X's and O's, da-da-da. It's, you know, molding a room and, and charting a course and all that stuff. So I don't think any, you know, I don't. to your point, Dave, like I don't think we know the answers to the questions because we don't even know what the questions are, right? Are we playing guys to get young guys minutes or are we playing veterans to give them exposure, you know, to make them more enticing as trade bait? Are we worried about the cap but, or but are we? Let me stop you right there. Yeah. But is Dion Phaneuf trade bait? No, no, but but for example, Martinez when he comes back, which is why he gets back in the lineup. But then, what do you do with Dion Phaneuf? I have no idea because I don't know what like because the organization and and no, I'm not saying saying they should. I don't think you can take Sean Walker out of the lineup. I agree. To me, but I don't think you can take Austin Wagner out of the lineup. To me, right. I was surprised to see Matt Luff out of the lineup. Right. I wonder if if you are supposed to give veterans even if they may not be producing give them the benefit of the doubt like they're supposed to stay and you're supposed to send the kids down regardless of how good the kids are right is that what's even if in this specific enough situation even if you are the lowest on the team at a minus 19 now tonight it's a minus 16 but he's still lowest on the team Dion Phaneuf well I don't know if you are supposed to or not but it certainly seems to me that the that the attitude of this organization is to give the veterans the benefit of the right. doubt right like we have right. tons of guys in this lineup before Brown came back, I would argue everybody in the lineup was struggling to produce. Maybe not Kovalchuk, maybe not Ayafalo, but certainly Kopitar, Dowdy, uh, Carter, Toffoli, right? All of, you know, Pearson before he got traded. Everybody was struggling, and yet that didn't seem to impact minutes at all. So, you know, when Martinez comes back, I wouldn't be surprised if they send Walker down or if they scratch him. Just because, as we've seen... Seniority, almost. It's like a seniority, respect kind of thing. Respect, but when when you're 27th now in the league, you have to say, we're building toward the future. So, is, is, like you were just saying, do they buy Dion Phaneuf out? Do they put him on waivers? We don't know what's going to happen there. At what point do you say, okay, we're building toward the future, now we have to give these guys experience at the NHL level to see what we have as an NHL club in the future? Is Dion Phaneuf a part of this team next year? I'm going to go out on a limb and say no, probably not. In some way, he's and this is just me guessing, right? right? He's he's probably going to be bought out, placed somewhere, whatever the whatever the situation may be. And I think these young guys need a chance to show what they can do at this level. And you're not you're not going to move forward saying, hey, we see Dion Phaneuf long term with this team. No, but we see Sean Walker long term at this at this level with this team. Mm-hmm. We see Austin Wagner long term at this team, don't we? Yeah. We see Matt Luff at this level with his team. Yeah. All these young guys, the guys like Leipzig and Sherback, okay, maybe you can you know, cut ties, and, and they were acquired on waivers, so maybe you place them on waivers as well. 
But it's I, so bad. Leipzig, we're like a six team in four years, and it well, just well, breaks my heart. That tells you something. That tells yeah. you something. If it's your six team in four years, there's obviously something wrong. You can. There's two ways to look at it. Either six teams wanted really wanted you, or it's your last shot to make it in the league. And to me, it, nothing against Brendan Leipzig, but it's his last shot to make it in the league because what does he do after this? If the Kings put him on waivers, where does he go? Does another NHL team pick him up off of waivers? I'm not so sure. I don't know. I, I don't want to get into whole Leipzig talk, but I feel like he could. What if he just keeps getting picked up because there's holes in a team's organization that they need to fill at that time, and then that's why he gets put back away. Well, that's why he got picked up injury. here. Right, yeah. exactly. And that's why he got picked up here. Like, maybe that's what's been happening. Right. So, like, right. they're not, like, just ditching him because they are, like, these guys. And, 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 oh! I'm not, and I'm not banging Edit, out. edit, Eddie, you got to edit that. Don't worry, we'll, we'll get, yeah, we'll f*** it out. <laughs> I'm not, by no means am I bagging on Brennan Leipzig or, or Dan. Ah, I'm just saying, if you're looking toward the future, what are you looking for with this team? Right. I, is Dion Phaneuf going to be a part of this team? Is Brendan Leipzig going to be a part of this team? Is Nikita Sherbach going to be a part of this team? Probably not, is my guess. So so the younger guys that we've seen so far are Alec Martinez probably will be. Is is he going to be traded? We don't know. Is a guy like Jake Muzzin going to be traded? We don't know. But these these young guys probably are not going to be traded. They're 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 the building blocks for this team moving forward in the future. I'd like to see what they have at the NHL level for the rest of the season. I wouldn't send them back to to Ontario. I would like to see them in the lineup every single night. Yeah, I mean, the only problem there is that the salary cap with Lewis. You know, something's going to have to happen. If I had to guess, and again, this is just me guessing. But but, but not to interrupt, and I'll let you okay. do that. If if when Trevor Lewis comes back, Trevor Lewis is immediately inserted into the lineup. Oh, 100%. Okay, so then that creates a spot for Trevor, and that means someone else is either getting sent down or being waived. Right. Or one or two guys are, are being sent down or being waived. And, and to that point, this was what I was going to say. I think my guess is, this is just based on what we've seen, Sherback is the healthy scratch. Leipzig is playing significant minutes. I would expect to see Leipzig stick around, at least for the rest of the season. Sure. And, and frankly, if you were to tell me that next season – the Kings' fourth line was uh, Wagner, Lewis, and Sherbach, or uh, Leipzig. I'd be fine with that, right? The, the two guys are fast. You know, I was talking to Jim Fox earlier in the week for the podcast, and Fox essentially said, you know, Wagner's ceiling maybe is a 20-goal-scoring winger, but the reality is he doesn't have a lot of finish, but he does use his speed effectively. He does, you know, he's got maybe like a, a – dose of sandpaper to his game he's not going to get in a fight but he's there to stick up for guys he can forecheck he can penalty kill and if he pops seven or eight in a year great this is your perfect fourth liner and Leipzig from what we've seen the guy can fly he creates chances maybe he doesn't bury him but you know the the league is littered with effective third and fourth liners who use their speed but can't finish and that's why they're not in the top six so I wouldn't be I actually wouldn't be surprised to see Leipzig Leipzig stick around Mm -hmm. Um, he's shaped and he has potential, and he really wants he wants to be yeah. here too. He like <laughs> so. Sherbach's your your odd man out. For, for I, first man on the chopping block, for lack of a better phrase. Yeah. Oh man. This professional sports, man. Can we keep everybody? This is so sad. It's worked out so well so far. Oh, I don't like it. I, not, I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer. No, but I mean, that's it's, it's a fact. Right? It is I what mean, it is. We picked up these guys. The team picked up these guys off of waivers for a reason. There's a reason they were on waivers to begin with. Um, they weren't wanted or didn't fit with a certain team and several teams in Leipzig's you know, situation. So what do you do? What do you, is he a part of the Kings moving forward? We don't know yet. 
But I think the other guys are the Luffs, the Wagners, the Walkers, guys like that. And then there are guys down in Ontario who could, if moves are made before the trade deadline, that we're going to see called up as well. There are guys. Kale Clegg's coming. Yep. Kale Clegg's yeah. coming, and, and there, there's been talk that Matt Roy, you know, Matt Roy's been playing great in Ontario, and even a guy like Alex Lintunami, who may not get a call up to the NHL this year, could be there next year or the year after. I mean, there's still younger guys who are progressing well in Ontario. So Clegg is, is certainly at the top of the list, I would think, but Roy's been getting a good look, and there are other guys there who, who you know, are producing at that level who they'd like to see at the NHL level too. So I think that creates a little bit more of a, a rub for some of these other guys who you might say, well, maybe we don't have space for a Leipzig or a Sherback or whatever it is. But that, that goes back to what I was saying earlier, which is, you know, we constantly say on this podcast, you, your happiness is measured by expectations. And at this point, we don't actually know what the front office's expectations are. Yeah. You know, we know what our expectations are. We know what the fans on Reddit's expectations are. We know what the guys on Twitter who constantly say, you know, <laughs> the coach is a bum and trade everybody. But we don't know what Rob Blake wants out of this season, right? We don't know if his goal is trade everybody but the big three and, you know, and rebuild, or if it's make a tweak here, make a tweak there, sneak in under the salary cap and, and move forward. So I have the perfect solution to that. Yeah. Get Rob Blake on the podcast. <laughs> from your lips to Blake's ears. Be there right back. Go. I'll go get Rob Blake. <laughs> Come Car- on. Carlin, you were about to say people. something. Oh, I was going to say that what, what you're saying and not knowing the expectations could also um, be put in the same conversation with the forum that you said you were reading where they were questioning Willie's changes. Because if they don't know the expectations and we don't know the expectations, and of course anyone's going to look at those lineup changes and go, what the heck? Mm-hmm. Whether it's a, I hate when people say lose for Hughes, or whether it's a, we're just trying to exercise these guys and see what they can do. Like, we don't know what coach is expecting or what they're trying to manage in the front office, so we don't know why these things are happening or who, what, what kind of looks they're giving people or or why. So maybe that is a reason why it looks kind of funky to the message board. One of the most overplayed fan tropes of my lifetime has been Oh, that guy's getting minutes. They're showcasing him. That's the phrase. Showcasing this guy for a trade. Like, there were maybe two All-Star games in the 90s where guys were traded. I think it was like Solani to the Ducks, and everyone saw it coming because of the All-Star game. He and Korea was like, oh, my God. And then Gretzky to the Blues um, with Hull. After that All-Star game, you're like, oh, man, that would be great. But ever since then, it seems like everybody's like, oh, well, they're only playing so-and-so, you know, to showcase him for a trade. Or this guy's only getting played, you know, it's like. Scouts talk to each other. General managers talk to yeah. each other. You we know, weren't showcasing Tanner Pearson for a trade. No. It's not how that works. No, it's not. No. Oh, you know, some guy gets called up for one game, and it's like, oh, show, you know, is Ledoux in the lineup because they're showcasing yeah. him for a trade? No. The, Martinez is out, and they're playing this team. And, I think it gives – if they do perform well, it just gives everybody kind of like a, oh, did you see what they did? Or, right. like, it's not so much that we're playing him for this purpose. But, I mean, Toffoli's trade value, Jeff Carter's trade value, Jonathan Quick's trade value, Jake Muzzin's trade value. Skyrocketed after tonight. Well, <laughs> but that's my point. None of it changes, right? Like, if Carter had a four-goal game tonight or if Toffoli has, you know, two more goals over the last 17 games and you know than the two he has, like, that second-round draft pick doesn't magically turn into a first just because he had, you know. Hey, hey he's on pace for 16 goals this year, okay? Look, it's been a rough year all, around, all the way around. Now, I want to focus on one real quick thing that shocked me about this game. Given all my conversation about the fog rolling in and Uh-oh. it doesn't matter if they win or not, I was and continue to be – livid at the challenge on that fifth goal 
I was so heavily writing my questions that <laughs> I literally looked up for a second and I was like, it's an offside. Okay. I didn't. What, what was so. Why? Yeah, what Delay happened? of game. You're down four to nothing. There's two minutes left and the guys score on you and you call it back because he's offside. Get the guitar riff out of here with that. Yeah. Why? But why wouldn't you? Because it's a because it's petty. You still no. You you still have to care. So here no. I know you, you roll your eyes. No no no. You still you still, you you still have to try. To you win. still. I talked about this after the Tampa Bay game. After the Tampa Bay game, I went into the locker room after practice and I asked them. You know, did you at any point think to yourself, it's fine. This is the best team in the league. It's mm-hmm. okay if we lose. And every person I think I talked to, Fantenberg, I talked to Leipzig, and I talked to talked to Thompson, and they were like. Absolutely not. You still have to try. To, I think they said exactly that. You still have to try to win no matter how much you're down. Because if you lose that, then what are you doing? So I know it seems petty. It'd be Beyond petty. It seems that way. You still have to try. Imagine if he didn't challenge it and he uh, knew that it would be five to nothing instead of four to nothing. But imagine, imagine a coach if it was blatant in the replay and he didn't challenge it, and you know he knows it, and everyone's just looking at him like, "Why didn't you do that?" Like it's and, worse the other way. And then you have to face the media in Edmonton. Why didn't you challenge? Why didn't you it? challenge yeah. it, coach? Because it, it was four to nothing, and, we, and the know, game was over. You know, but so the game's never over. The game's never over until the buzzer goes. I, I don't have an issue with it. This is I, why sports is dumb. I, I understand where you're coming from, but sports I don't have an is issue dumb. with it. You have to, you have it's like it's like the team, it's like the football team that calls timeout. They have one timeout left and there's 48 seconds remaining yeah. and they call timeout and there's no way they're going to win the game, but they still call timeout. You're hoping there's a bad snap and there's a fumble and whatever it is, this is the same type of situation. Here's the, when the Kings are down by two goals and they pull the goalie with three minutes left and you're like, get out of here, you're never going to score. But you go, all right, fine, there's a limited amount of opportunities to run this play, so you want to do it, you want to take advantage of it, They're then they get scored on. Now, I get that. This wasn't – this doesn't <laughs> – like there was absolutely literally no human, humanly possible way that Edmonton was going to come back and win this game. There's nothing to be gained out of the moment. The coaching staff doesn't get, like, an extra rep. The team doesn't, like, get another, you know, notch of experience on their belt. It was just petty. And and as somebody pointed out, they had already used their timeout. Now, as it turns out, that that wouldn't have mattered because that only applies to, I think, goaltender goal versus offsides. You don't lose your timeout. You just get a delay of game penalty, Correct. to which my response was they should have gotten a delay of game penalty anyway because it was you, friggin' petty. I still don't know if you need your time. <laughs> because it's petty. That's why you should get I still don't know if you need your timeout in order right to make that challenge, though. No, I, you don't. But you don't need a timeout? I guess not because they got away with it. Yeah, they got away with it, but it was at the right call. I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't want to say either way because I don't, I don't know, know the rule offhand. But I know if that play was onside – they would have been assessed a two-minute delay a game penalty. Right. If, if it wasn't a goal. If they, if if they it, had been on side. If they had been on side and the goal counted, Edmonton would have been charged two minutes for delay oh, a game. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Because it's yes, a failed yes, offside yes. Which challenge. should have been a four-minute yes. double penalty, double delay of game for pettiness and being oh, wrong. Oh, so I would have announced it as two minutes delay of game, failed offside challenge, yeah. and two minutes for pettiness. For pettiness. According, according, to, petty. Je- oh according to Jesse. Ugh. From now on, I'm calling him... Uh, the oh no, what's Tom Petty's band's name? The Heartbreakers. The Heartbreakers. From now on, I call on the Oilers the Heartbreakers because that call was Petty, Dave. Uh, 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 Ken Hitchcock and the Heartbreakers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Oh my God. <laughs> All right, let's get to the play of the game and the player of the game. This one, uh, this one's tough. But Dave, let's start with the play of the game. Play of the game. Yeah. Andre Kopitar's 300th career NHL Dang goal. It. Why you always have the same 
ones is me. Well, it has to be, does it not? Okay. I think it has to be. Yeah. I mean, 300 career goals for someone who's not not known, I put it in quotes, as a goal scorer. He's more of a of a dish guy, right? He's playmaker. more Playmaker. He's a playmaker. And what a dish. Did you see that? What <laughs> a dish. 300 career goals for Kopi. That's impressive. Mm-hmm. That's the his and that's a hell of a shot by yeah. Kopi on that play. That's my play of the game. I'll take the pass from Brown leading up to the goal and the zone entry. Oh, and I how, see where you're going. Yeah, how, sure, yeah. Let's, t- let's dial back a little bit how beautiful the breakout was. I believe. I think this is the goal. I got them all confused now because we scored so many tonight. I, don't, I believe this started in the defensive zone and then had a, had a nice clean breakout and then um, Brownie giving it to him like that across the ice was just beautiful. I'm Obviously, it was Kopitar's 300th goal, but it was one of those nights where Clifford scores, and I was like, ooh, play of the game. Good for Clifford. And then Cardish was like, ooh, play of the game. It was a hell of a shot. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it just kept going. But then, yeah, 300 goals on a on, on one of those shots where I was almost, <laughs> almost angry at him for scoring it because you go, yeah, right, of course. You're one of the most deadly shooters from that from in the slot. And he's got a dynamite shot. Everybody, you know, for 10 years, people have been screaming at him, shoot more. Mm-hmm. And he just absolutely nails he's like, it. He's like Ryan Getzlaff. Like, every time he does score, you're like, I know you can do it! Right. <laughs> what are you, you doing? Pass it all the time. <laughs> uh, so, Dave, player of the game. Player of the game goes to Jonathan Quick. Damn it, Dave. <laughs> Next time we'll start with Carlin. 51st career shutout. Yeah. Uh, uh, 300th career NHL win. 17th goalie in NHL history to reach the 300 win mark before playing 600. Second fastest American to reach the 300 win plateau behind Ryan Miller. Quick is tied for the twi- uh, tied for 25th on the all-time list in shutouts. That's your player of the game. But is he elite? I got that email too. Yeah, well, I'm just giving it. To, I'm giving the stats to the fans who need to know this information, Carlin. Yeah, yeah. They need to know this. How good this guy is. We're part of a special club he where PR is says that us. Good. That That's is right. Well, yeah. That's Thank what, you, Eddie Fisherman. Woo! That's my favorite chain of events. Is my my alert on my phone will go off and oh, I got an email. And then two seconds later on Twitter, I see the exact same email coming from the mayor, John Rose, and Helene Elliott, Curtis Zabke, <laughs> Dave, Carlin, Ryan, yeah, and Rose. Get, like, the press um, but uh, Carlin, player of the game. Oh, man. I want to say quick. Dion Phaneuf plus three. Yeah, I want to say, say, say Jonathan Quick. The man stopped the puck with his dang face. Like, that's impressive. Ah. Uh, Kopitar was incredible too. Heck, Kempe did the splits against the boards. How is he okay? I don't know. I saw him on the yeah, bench. Yeah, that was ugly. Yeah, I saw him on the bench ugly. after, and it seemed like he's probably, I don't know, I don't want to speculate, but like, I bet he'll get that looked at, I'm assuming. <laughs> but it was just, so. he literally did Someone's the splits. Someone's getting a rubdown tonight. <laughs> he did the splits like a, like a goalie would, and it was impressive. But um, At high speed against a, a flat surface. Speed. Yeah. Uh, shoot, Jonathan Quick. I mean, the guy gave me a great interview post game. He's a heck of a goalie. Andre Kopitar calls him the best goalie in the world anytime we ever talk about him. And he's he's our dude. He's the franchise dude. I think there's about five guys any of us could have named tonight, right? John Quick, Walker. Quick gets a you know his, his shutout. Kopitar gets his 300th goal. Enough is plus three. Dowdy had a good night. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to go with Brown just because how many times in this poor bastard's career have there been a sizable group of fans ready to sell him out and move on, 
right? Whether it was early in his career, he's not, you know, whether it was the 2012 Cup run where there was rumors that they were going to trade him and he, you know, scores that hat trick against Chicago. Then he has the down years where, you know, people constantly writing articles about his Dustin Brown's contract the worst has, in the NHL. He's got 12 kids. He can have a couple of down times, right. okay? But, I mean, here he is. He Strip is now. Captaincy. Yeah, yeah. No, exactly. And he, tonight he plays the game that puts him into second place on all times game, on all time games played um, ahead of Robitaille behind Dave Taylor. I think it was 1,078, and Taylor, I think, is 1,111. So he'll pass that number relatively quickly. He's on the statue out front. He's going to have his banner in the rafters. You know, first American captain to win the Stanley Cup twice. I mean, he – it's easy to take for granted the things you have when you've got him. But as I was saying to Dave Carlin earlier, doing the research for the 90s night um, segment I did in the intermission, coming up with the top five players of the 90s, and it was Robitaille, Gretzky, Rudy, Blake, and McSorley. And I just thought about this team we've got now with Kovacar, uh, Brown, Quick, Quick Dowdy, yeah. and, and as I said, we don't have a McSorley analog because this is not that kind of game anymore. From the, uh, from the manager of alumni relations, that would be me, uh, this is going to be great, like 10 years from yeah. now, when we have uh, Legends Nights. <laughs> That's right. It's oh, going to be, hey, take your pick. Where do we start? Do we right. start with Willie Mitchell? Do we start with Justin Williams? Rob do we start with Rob Scuderi? Do we start with... Kevin Westgarth? <laughs> do we start with, uh, you know, Kopey, right. Quick, Brown, Carter? I mean, go down the list, right? Yeah. I mean, there, there's a half dozen guys right there. Yeah. Plus a few that I'm not even thinking of right now that that are going to have their Legends Nights here, right? Yeah. And probably at least three of those guys are going to have their numbers raised to the rafters here. Yeah. Right? Quick, Brown, Kopey, for absolute 100% certainty. Eight. Number eight. And, and, and Doughty, yeah. right? Yeah. Just, he's younger, so yeah, give yeah. him a few more years. Yeah. Uh, and then you look at, you go from there to Hall of Fame. Yeah. So you go Doughty, future Hall of Famer. Absolutely. Quick, Absolutely. future Hall of Famer. Kopey, I think so. Future Hall of Famer. Dustin Brown? Sadly, I think probably not. Right. But King's Hall of, Hall of Famer, right? I mean, number well, retired. Look at the six banners they've got. Vashon doesn't play his entire career with the Kings. Dion doesn't play his entire career with the Kings. Gretzky doesn't play his entire career with the Kings. Robitaille doesn't play his entire career with the Kings. Blake doesn't play his entire career with the Kings. Dave Taylor, 1,111 games in a Kings uniform. The Kings. The, the, probably the next banner to join those six up there. Could very well be Dustin Brown's Dustin Brown. right. as the other guy to have played his. It's entirely possible Dustin Brown plays his entire career in a Kings uniform, and I don't think that can be ignored. First captain to yeah. lift the Stanley Cup with the Kings, so yeah. I would I would think twenty three goes to the Raptors before any of the other guys. Mm-hmm. That that would be my guess. Disagree? Uh, no, not at all. And I think if we get, I mean, it's rough because he did have those three seasons where you know it was like womp womp. Um, but if he has two more years like he had last year and like he's having this year, I think you forget entirely about those three seasons. I think we've already forgotten. I've I, <laughs> <laughs> They were bad. Uh, well, I, I looking at the team this year, it, but looking at how he continues to play through it all, I'm, I've already forgotten. Yeah. I mean, that, so, so that's my uh, player of the game, Dustin Brown. I think that's going to wrap it up for now. We've gone pretty long for a 4 nothing win over a, a bum team. Um, as I said on Twitter, I'll just say it again. I, it was uh, the 90s night. It was a fantastic night. The music was great. I kept waiting to hear a song by Garbage, um, a, a 90s band that I was very fond of. And then I realized they were playing the Edmonton Oilers, so they, uh, they did play Garbage. So there you go. Anyway. <laughs> wow! Look at that. Shots fired. 
shots fired. <laughs> oh my god. So for Garland Bay, Dave Joseph, my name is Jesse Cohen. Thanks for listening, Kings fans. We will talk to you soon. Did you have that one in your back pocket? Oh no, I put that on Twitter. I've been. Oh! <laughs>